Welcome to the Digitally Native podcast, a podcast that explores what it means to be digital and to live digital lives. I'm your host, Fungai, and together we will explore a range of topics and trends around digital and social media and digital innovation. So grab a drink, buckle up, and let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to a new podcast episode. It is 2024 and if you've made it, I'm sure, well, you've made it if you're listening to this uh, podcast episode, you've made it. So congratulations and I wish you a great new year ahead uh, for you and all you love and care about. Uh, today's guest on the podcast is Rosebel Kagumire. She is a woman of many hats, feminist, social commentator, researcher, activist, thinker, and all-round um, just great mind to have a conversation with. And today we're taking it back some years ago, about, um, I mean, how many years is it now? We're in 2024, so it's 12 years now, back to Kony 2012, which was um, a viral hashtag that um, was instigated or initiated um, in, in the Ugandan digital landscape as a response to a documentary of the same name, which was created by a Western NGO um, that had come up with a narrative about a warlord in Uganda who was posing a great risk and threat to the Ugandan society at large and had started this campaign to get uh, young Western um, viewers to engage with their um, local governments to to make some change. But it turned out in the long run that um, this was actually a very infactual um, piece of content that had many loopholes and had not incorporated Ugandan voices on the ground. And so we go back all those years ago to have a conversation about what was happening at that time and how people like Rosebell and others who were in Uganda started to get word out about the actual situation within Uganda at that time. So I'll let Rosebell get into it and I'll catch you on the other side of this episode. Thank you, Fungai. Finally reconnecting. My name yes. is Rosemary Kagumire. I am from Uganda and I'm a feminist, I'm a writer, journalist, and activist. Um, I currently part-time live in Senegal in Dakar. So happy to reconnect after some years. Yeah, it's been many years. And I think um, well, the last time I probably saw you was no, I think I last saw you in Uganda some years ago. But before that, we had gotten lost in, uh, in Hamburg. Hamburg. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we, we were at this event and we we didn't know how to get there. And we went on this walkabout for I don't know how many hours. Yeah, and you know, you know, Europeans, <laughs> they, they just throw you some miles away <laughs> Between the you know event venue and the hotel, figure it out. Like figure okay. it out. <laughs> Get on a train, and this is the yeah. map. We couldn't we couldn't figure it out. It was very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Very different dynamics to you know conferences on the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also just going a little bit back, I, I I know that I first heard of you, and this is I mean. This time in Hamburg was around 2013, 2014, but I had heard of you from um, the digital space, um, and that was 2012, when there was this big Kony 2012 situation. 
um, which just for for a context from my understanding, but you can expand it a little bit more, um, was something that initiated after an organization in an NGO in the U.S., had this big campaign where they were going to bring a Ugandan warlord to justice for crimes. Um, and then, you know, they had this paint the night scenario where people were meant to come out of their um, homes at night and, you know, put up petitions to their governors and, you know, all that sort of stuff to get them to bring this, this man, Kony, um, to Joseph Kony to to justice. And then, you know, Ugandans were like, you know, what are you doing? You know, it's not an issue that we are taking up. How can you take it up from, from the West? So what was that? I mean, uh, like you can tell me a little bit about your previous interactions before then um, in the digital space, but what was that moment then like at that point in time? Okay, uh, I think Kony 2012 came at a time, you know, in Uganda, we had just come from a very difficult election, 2011. Mm. Uh, mm. I mean, one of the series of difficult elections we've had in uh, mm -hmm. 37 years of rule. Mm. So, but I personally, I had been online for a long time. I, uh, I mean, I worked in Ugandan journalism spaces. I worked on TV. I've worked on in newspapers, radio, news agencies, all that. So, and in doing that, I had been covering political situations in Uganda from political parties to conflict, post-conflict. Um, I was a very much engaged political reporter in the country um, and had been uh, to northern Uganda as a, a reporter. I had documented stories of, you know, um, victims of war, of, of the war between Uganda and uh, army and in the Joseph Kony's rebels for which had gone on for almost two decades, you know. So I had personally been in northern Uganda several times and worked as a journalist. And at the time, um, I think only 2012 came through. I just finished, um, I'd finished a kind of internship with a women's rights organization as part of my master's program. I needed mm -hmm. to. My master's program was on media. Uh, my my master's program was on media, peace, and conflict studies, and I decided mm. to understand media narratives and framing in the role of women in conflict and post conflict in northern Uganda. So, mm -hmm. so very much <laughs> when I saw the the video, I, I had seen and read about uh, and experienced about what media frames look like and how we were covering a war. By the way, before the internet was here, and mm. slowly how we were covering the war as the and the end of the war and the peace talks and the efforts I had covered the peace talks in, in southern Sudan at the time was not yet South mm. Sudan independence. Uh, that's where the peace talks between the government of Uganda and the rebels of the Lord's Resistance Army were having the peace talks. I had personally been in South Sudan in Southern Sudan uh covering with the peace talks uh, teams mm. Um, for a couple of weeks in and out. Uh, so, so really, I fully understood the situation that Kony 2012 was addressing as a journalist, as an activist, and uh, as a Ugandan. Um, yeah. so, so, and, and for people not knowing, like, this was one of the first, like, historic viral campaigns that went viral. Yeah. Before then, like people had used celebrities and stuff to push agendas, but these guys had actually gone into Hollywood and found um, the most famous um, 
celebrities at the time to tweet, mm. convince mm. them to tweet their messages, you know, mm. might be even more difficult by now. Even celebrities at the time did not know like the complexities and because there was no pushback or feedback mechanisms at the time, right. as many people were offline, uh, mm. they they would not hesitate. They would be like, oh, anything, save Africa, right? So, right. The, the, yeah, so, so Connie 2012 as a film and as a mm. project, was taken up as just another venture we are maybe we are saving Africa kind of thing. Yeah. But but that's where the 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 video and the campaign found me. I had been through all that and I was I was in Uganda and I was mm. active online. I was one of the very few Ugandans to go fast on Twitter actually. Mm. Uh, um, and even Facebook at the time. So I'd been on Facebook but then Twitter came and I was already engaging with Twitter, engaging in uh, digital activism conferences. I was blogging on international yeah. forums. So I was very aware on, you know, the power of the internet and what the potential held for, for us, uh, first of all, as a communicator, but also how it was going to change in terms of feedback um, as Africans living in countries which had been perpetually covered by the Western media. The only way someone from the East to the West would know about a situation in your country was filtered through CNN, right? CNN, right. BBC. So those right. were the high chances that someone would, would have an alternative platform where very zero. That's the yeah. only way of seeing you. And of course, I was also experiencing that as a person who had been to America at that point. I'd visited mm. America several times. I had been educated in Costa Rica in a UN university and met so many people culturally, being very mm. culturally aware and how... Uh, when we talk about stereotypes, it was not something I experienced just from a media. I had seen it both at home and abroad, right? right. So I came to that uh, video with that kind of information and experiences. And so did you experience a kind of um, dissonance with it? You know, what was your, like, watching this organization? I remember, I mean, even this man has his little child and he's trying to explain this is a bad man and this is what he's doing and this is what we're going to do. We're going to save these people from, from this bad man. What was your experience? Was it factually, firstly, was 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 the documentary factually accurate? And secondly, what was your, what was your experience watching it? So there are different things. You know, there was a lot of sensationalism, right? Mm. Mm. And, and and from the start, the frame is very important how you draw in the, as storytellers. How do you draw in a person to follow you? And yeah. using their child, mm. right? And mm. then telling the story through eyes of his child and our children in Uganda yeah. was a big hook, right? Because, right. you know. Western people are about saving children, not adults. <laughs> like, we don't matter. <laughs> Infantilization, <laughs> yes. Infantilization yeah, is high. So mm. once you turn adult, we no longer care about who you are because now you have opinions. We are going to question us. But children, no. are and they don't know anything. So we can mm. present them as, you know, these cute little things we need to, uh, you know, like almost jewelry or accessorize us our our struggle with right i feel mm. that's how the western world does like because an adult is is capable of asking you and pushing you so you just get someone who is in a vulnerable or in a position that they are not yet um in that position to question you so you can they they look like a good accessory in you you can be a good person from the west and you're fighting for justice right so, mm -hmm. so that hook was very important and he knew the audience. It's a mm. good thing for the audience. So after that, 
very few people would question <laughs> what is going right. on. Right. Like I'm question because you've already played this idea of like black, uh, you know, black children, white child, you know, mm. Mm. you're already like playing all that racial game, um, uh, rac- racializing the whole si- situation. And uh, of course, the positionality of the storyteller matters. And, mm. and it's not enough that he's white. He's using also his white child to come to tell the story. And they are kind of bonding over a bad man in some jungle in Africa. Mm. It's a big hook for many people. You know, they'll be like, mm. wow, you know, I need to know about this. You know, they see themselves in that. But right. for me as an African, I was like, what is going on? Why? Mm. I don't understand an African sitting and telling their child, you know, there's this bad man. I don't know in Korea or something. This is not something right. you would do with your no. child. So it was so unreal. <laughs> um, so in that case, like framing narrative from the start, very problematic. Mm. The situation was that, yes, the war had happened. The war had victims. And then next, the child he chose to use, a Ugandan child from the North, yeah, yeah. who had been filmed like 10 years earlier. Mm. He does not immediately say this was 10 years so unethical, it's really unethical to, it, it. he framed it as if this was ongoing right now. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Uganda, the situation had moved on. Yes, kids, uh, people had been massively displaced in millions and they had slept on the streets. Kids were being mm-hmm. abducted in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, and there was, uh, you know, just too much suffering there. I first went to Gulu, which was where like most of the operations had been for NGOs. And in 2004, yeah, around 2004, and I found so many children sleeping on the streets. The reality of what you're showing was filmed at that time. But you're trying to tell a story in 2012 and using footage from 2000, 2003, and you're not telling your, your, your reader, your viewer immediately like, oh, this was filmed then. So, yeah, so th- that was really a problem was not not really telling like exa- being truthful, you know, like anyone working in communications. If you use footage from a while back, you show that this footage is from that particular time. Right. Uh, right. And so that people have context and not say like this is happening right now. And in the film's tone. Right. It was urgency, mm. like act now, go do this. And remember, this was also pushing for military, uh, U.S. military deployment. You know, it mm. was also mm. the problem was about like the prescribed, mm. prescribed uh, uh, solution, right? It was not like right. an awareness campaign, which right. we would, which would, you know, also see what was wrong with it, but. Also, the problem was like it was driving people towards the Senate to push the Senate to push more mm-hmm. troops, American troops on the ground in Africa. Right. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was and there was also very, uh, very problematic. The outcome of what they needed the campaign to uh, to 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 um, to come to. So the footage was used. In fact, the guy, uh, that, that young man who was character, the young character captured in Gulu and now was probably at a university, you know, was a, a young man, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, which is very, very, uh, problematic. You cannot, you know, you can't omit this kind of, uh, context from the story and, uh, and not emphasize 
But but what was more important was that there was no more war in Uganda at that point. We were mm-hmm. we were having post conflict, uh, you know, recovery processes that were non starter at that point. Actually, after many years of being a very big hub for NGOs, once uh, the world declared that the war had been over in Uganda, and and in a typical fashion of international development, all organizations almost quit left the north mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. were on their own struggling to to get back home there was not enough funds the little funds that were given in government were being embezzled people were suffering in their villages they were back home and they don't know where to start people were dealing yeah. with a lot of uh, um, uh, post-traumatic uh, stress disorders they had uh, nodding disease affecting children, so many children in the north. So, so the reality in the northern Uganda at the time the films uh, really broadcast was very different from what this guy was painting. And mm-hmm. and the rebels had left Uganda. They were now fighting in uh, in DRC between DRC, Central African Republic, and South Sudan. You know, so mm-hmm. if the story was to be told of what needs to act or now. It was not going to cast Uganda as the as the center of the conflict of as of that time. It was going to give right. Uganda background, but show maybe uh, the current victims of that war, which were now which war was now in three countries. You know, um, yeah. at that point. But the realities of north people in northern Uganda were like they cannot find their missing children. You know. Uh, there were a few people facilitating the recording of missing people because the war had been going on for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Many children were abducted. Many people were uh, killed. So people didn't know who is alive, who is not. There were reunifications happening, others not happening. So the, the problems of Northern Uganda at the time were a bit more different. And, the, yeah. and, yeah. and, and yeah, so so it is really that kind of unethical twist to a story that... Um, it's not that like there was no war, but you're using images from long time and you're not telling uh, the entire truth. And the other part was like you didn't have African voices, people on the ground um, yeah. who had been involved in peace talks. So we had like yeah. several efforts that were bringing peace to the region. But mm. the person driving this campaign was more interested in American military, militarism. Right. from America is what they wanted. And that mm. was very, very problematic because um, we, 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 we needed like more efforts on the ground being supported to really um, uh, reunite families, address community tensions. That is what was going on in the country at the time. Even when the mm. military operations were happening in Central African Republic, in DRC, in South Sudan, to contain the small remaining forces of uh, of the LRA, in Uganda, the, because of the war had been there 20 years, really the, the challenges were massive. So it was very dis- difficult to not see it as like, it, you know, this is a lie, like someone in, who was in Northern Uganda at that point was like, maybe you should have had that film in 2003. Right. Like and so what's that at, Because, you know, you are saying that at that point in time, there weren't many Ugandans online, you know, they weren't, you were an early adopter of Twitter and Facebook yourself. So what you know, I mean, Kony 2012, the hashtag, as as, as I've heard, heard it researched and read about it, was the pushback against um, 
was the Ugandan pushback against the documentary, but then how did it build enough of traction given that there wasn't so many people online in Uganda at that time? How did, you know, how did we all end up finding out about Kony 2012? Actually, the first tweets and the, the campaign materials in the video was sent out in the night. It was in the night in Uganda, you know, mm-hmm. and so in the day in America, probably in, in LA somewhere. So mm. we, I wake up, I found so many messages in my inbox on Twitter, everywhere, mm-hmm. Facebook from people. I found people tagging me on Facebook saying, Oh, sorry, Rosebell about your country. To be honest, <laughs> I, I was so shocked. I'm like, what is going on? Like I put on, I put on the TV and usually that point I wake up, I put on my phone and check um, Twitter emails, even before I go to the TV. Right. Then I was mm-hmm. like missing something. Let me switch on the TV. The TV was regular programming. There was nothing happening in the country. Right. Um, right. Meanwhile, everybody. Uh, so I had different kinds of uh, re- like uh, re- alerts, right? There were people mm-hmm. had gone, who were from Asia, from different parts of the world, who are like sympathizing, like, oh my God, we've seen this video from your country. This is so bad. And, you know, kind of feeling sorry like that. Mm-hmm. And then I had a big part of African diaspora in my inbox saying, you need to say something because I was one of the, you know, uh, most visible Ugandans online by then. Right. And they were look and very much involved in the media. Um, as a matter of fact, I'd been a stringer for so uh, contributed to so many international media platforms. So I knew, and the media and what amplified it. Remember, it was the fact that celebrities retweeted this campaign. So right. it flooded the rest of the world from Korea. I got messages from Korea, Japan, from everywhere, from friends in those countries, right. and they had mm. just on maybe i don't remember the celebrities that tweeted very big ones actually at that mm. at the time and now um and they they had learned it from a celebrity this is how they were forced mm. to they were they were watching the video because the celebrity said so not because of the campaign initiators so that's yeah. how we also if you're online you couldn't you couldn't miss it it was going to come right. to you you know right and, and I had these two reactions of like uh, people who don't really usually read about Africa. Maybe they know you, (laughs) but they don't really read news about Africa. Then they saw a celebrity talking about the agents of the situation in Uganda and what you need to do about it, donate all this money. By the way, it wasn't only push your Congress, it was like donate all this amount of money to this organization, American organization. And, uh, and, and a lot of people were donating money in the first, those, those hours, you know? So, mm-hmm. so then the African diaspora was like, this is not true. <laughs> we know, mm-hmm. you know, from my Ethiopian friends in the, in diaspora to Kenyans to everybody from the, at least in the region of Eastern Horn of Africa, Southern Africa, they knew that this is not the reality that is going on right now. Mm-hmm. So mm. I kind of had a back and forth. Uh, immediately I tried to, I actually read, uh, I said, let me watch this documentary and see anyway what it is about. And I think mm. I like tweeted my responses to that documentary. 
Mm. Like every minute, because I needed to capture like what in the world? <laughs> what are you talking about? Because if I, I watched to the end, I would be like, okay, what what was the first minute about, right? Yeah. So yeah. I needed I needed to capture like, you know, I would pause and say, okay, what is going on? So I actually like retweeted my responses to that documentary. And um. then and then, uh, and then uh, Ugandans online started getting the wind of it. And of course, mm. some people are not bothered about, they didn't have a, a, a good idea of how big this was in the outside world. Remember, it wasn't right. big in Uganda. And even at right. the time, London, this is post-Arab uh, Spring and people are growing right. their interest in social media. They are wondering right. how to navigate it. I remember being online um before then, I had there was this uh, a Ugandan military spokesperson I used to interview a lot when I covered the war, and I remember telling him that you need to be on on Facebook. You need to be. He was like, "No, that that is things for people dating. You people being like dating." I'm right. like, it's, "You know." And when this came out, they realized, "Oh, like the world has the about your country and the." Things can change in a flash because now Uganda was being cast as as a war zone, remember? Yeah. And that affects yeah. like if people are gonna come for tourism, economy, everything is connected. Yeah. So if any piece yeah. of work comes from Hollywood showing that your country is at war, and it's and and then on top of Hollywood stars, this is picked by Western media. Now they are like, oh, there's this campaign. Uh, Connie becomes big news. Uh, that's how the news is connected. The whole industry is connected. Media entertainment industry was right. blowing up with this story. So so yeah. so I think the few Ugandans who were online also we started when I like tweeted that and a couple of people we started like talking about it and first of all there were mm. enough Ugandans, particularly also from um from the southwestern of uganda and even right. if i'm a japanese like the experiences from there were very important so we started calling each other friends who are activists who are writers who are active online early adopters ugandans from northern ugandas like we need to be pushing back with real stories with real narrative here because the machine mm too big and this is uh, and they are going to generate money within a short period and the people in northern Uganda will never even see this money and the Ugandan right. economy is going to be affected first of all right. so it was a right. very very big project it was a very big campaign and the consequences were going to be very big and we were very right. few people literally trying to punch through like noise you know uh, but it, right. but it, that's where that's how it, it it came to me. And then when I live tweeted, uh, I live tweeted the, the my reactions to the to, to the film. And a few times I had uh, collaborated with Al Jazeera, the stream, and a few programs that covered mm -hmm. digital trends. They contacted me. They said, "Can you appear on our program?" And I wasn't. It was too late in the night. I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna send a video to you that you can use mm -hmm. um, instead." And that's how my video on Connie 2012 came about, actually. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, looking at this point in time, and you know, all this kind of. Um, I guess, solidarity from people in the region. 
um, and, and you getting this word out to an international platform. And then I suppose that's, if I think about it, I probably got wind of it through Al Jazeera. And, you know, this was a time, an interesting time in that digital landscape where perhaps, you know, except for a few countries that had robust social media communities, I think of Kenya and Kenyans on Twitter, um, it seemed like there were sort of atomized voices you found from within the, the, the different countries who then kind of got word out. And this word went perhaps, unfortunately, it's still a reality that I think, you know, a lot of the word goes to a Western uh, place or a, a platform, and then it comes back. And then other people from the continent who are engaged get word that way. Um, would you say that's still something of a dynamic at the at this point in time, or has it shifted? Are we now more connected to each other on the continent, or do we still need that intermediary? Um, I think we have to look back at that moment as a manifestation of how connected Africans have always been. Like, you mm -hmm. know, even before the internet, people have always met in conferences. If you think of mm -hmm. before the internet, we already knew different people through different networks, right? Only like the internet would amplify these voices quite in networks quite quicker than before. So that showed you even people whom I didn't know, they just needed to see my background and read a bit and they realized I'm a journalist, I've been here. Or they wanted to know you're a credible voice, you're from Uganda and you know what you're talking about, right? And that's the only right. thing they needed to know. And this is the voice most Africans and African diaspora were looking for to really push back, right? And then within the country, I was like, it's not enough for me to speak to international media. We actually put a list of Ugandans because let me tell you, within a few hours, like I couldn't sleep for a week. My 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 phone was ringing. My email was full. I had to divide so many media requests among Ugandans that were already uh, visible online, but also whom I trusted understand politics and they can actually frame what they're talking about very well, right? Because when we started pushing back and my video was actually blowing up internationally and stuff, and our voices were being picked up quickly now by very, uh, you know, in the media that is a bit independent and is, is critical of the West and all these things. Um, so the, the people who had issued this campaign were trying to fight back. So they had to get Ugandan voices, support them, right? It was it was very weird because they felt the need, because the way they had gone up quickly, it was also quickly being shared that, no, actually, this is not the place, you know? So they saw their campaign rise up, but then as it was rising, our voices were also rising. We're like, no, this is not the thing. And they felt the need to get Ugandan some... Um, they are old contacts of uh, leaders, you know, and the leaders they were contacting, of course, don't have an idea of the impact we are talking about, right? You didn't want to be the lone voice <laughs> and you're not from yeah. the conflict affected country, right? And I understood yeah. that. I already understood positionality. Who are you? You know, I'm a Ugandan, mm -hmm. but I'm not from the northern part of the country, which is affected by mm -hmm. this conflict, even if as a journalist I've covered it. So I was mm -hmm. partnering cover and uh, getting voices of journalists, activists, you know, women rights activists, people who had worked or in the field who knew, who understood the, the potential of this campaign to bring in 
um, American militarism and root it in our in our region. It was already there, but it was calling for a bigger kind of operation. Um, and, and so so as we're pushing back that, it became like a narrative fight. Now the the campaigners were also looking for like local voices also say, oh, this mm-hmm. one supports us. But you wonder, even if you are making a film and you didn't find these local voices, now you're going back to get them because you're under fire to say, oh, no, we are credible because this person says so. It was very, mm-hmm. you could see, like, it was a fight on not only, like, like legitimacy. You know, it's a question of legitimacy, voice and legitimacy. Who are you to speak, right? And even right. as you speak, you're constantly also evaluating yourself whether I'm a Ugandan, but am I part, am I affected by this conflict and how? Uh, and we were able right. to bring a variety of Ugandan voices. And I remember we put we put a, a whole website at the time and 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 used like Al Jazeera covered this very specifically, talks about Uganda speaks and stuff. And we had so many mm-hmm. stories. And we were able to, we went as bloggers, we went and covered all the stories we thought the world needed to know at the time. In northern Uganda, not this kind of dichotomy of like, oh, this is gloomy news from our country, we want good news. No, we were looking for the reality of what people are struggling with right now and where your money yeah. should go if you have money and right. you're, you're, you're concerned. Because it wasn't just narrative, it was about like, this is supposed to push certain actions and money and resources towards somebody, the money that survivors of this war would never see. Yeah. What would you say has changed? Is it is the context now? Um, do you feel that there's more voices and something? Absolutely. Let's say twenty. If Kony twenty twelve happened again, or if it was Kony twenty twenty three or Kony twenty twenty four, would it could it happen again in the current digital landscape of Uganda? Well. <laughs> in terms of people producing that, people are always up to produce almost the most ridiculous things about Africa. So, so it happens all the time. <laughs> it's still so, happening so. in another conflict, I guess. Um, but um, I think what set it apart was like it was a massive campaign, right? And this is right. when Twitter and all these platforms are coming up and being uh, used by celebrities in a big time. But I think right, right. now also celebrities... Uh, because there's more voices online from Africa and from mm-hmm. different places, and the criti- the critiques can find their way quickly to the platform mm-hmm. of the celebrity. So, mm-hmm. so I think they tend to be also a little bit more careful than before. Or if they if they posted something and they get backlash, it will be put down within a few hours. You know, we are seeing that kind of stuff. Right. Um, right. Right. So, so they would also get information that, uh, that people are saying this, right? So that kind mm. of flow of information is very important. But also mm. what has been changing uh, is not just the voices of citizens, but also the media landscape. And that's what I was talking about, the role of like Al Jazeera and other initiatives in amplifying our voices at that time. You know, Al Jazeera mm-hmm. is, had just come up just a few years, maybe five years or so the English mm-hmm. platform to, to blow mm-hmm. up internationally was right. relatively new and it was giving alternative lenses to places mm-hmm. that where the Western world had actually um, completely covered in a very, you know, history, histories of bias and prejudice, right? And it right. was promising to do different. So 
they found this kind of pushback very important to cover. And I think mm. we have seen growth uh, also internationally, media, both medium-sized and, you know, and also bloggers, networks, and voices have grown over time that right. you can quickly get these kind of stories to, 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 to be shared and the narratives for people to understand. It doesn't right. mean like the more people there is, the more pushback you get, but also it's more like, people getting more educated in the nuanced way of what their representation looks like outside. You mm -hmm. know, we don't take it for granted that everybody understands this. But with several examples over time, people are able to say, oh, this is what they, this is what they say about us, right? Right. Because even when the media, even when the TV was here, you know, not everyone ha had access and to a TV. Yeah, right. Well, I watched the TV probably like properly when I was around like 15 years, you know, right. <laughs> and I first like owned the TV when I was like 24, like our TV, you know, mm -hmm. so, so we take it for granted, like in terms of how media and access works in the, re mm -hmm. in the, in the African region, but because of the internet that people don't have to own a TV now, they can get from the very TV from their network, from their phone, right? At least snippets. And this kind of pushbacks can appear in sort of comedy, satire, you know, so people are educating themselves on a daily basis. The quality of that pushback can, can actually be better than it was before because we had a lot of Ugandans say, but what is the problem of talking about this? Because, you know, the lack of understanding of like, regional dynamics and political situation um, and situating what, you know, global powers and militarism looks like on the continent. Sometimes right. that can be, can be very difficult kind of points to, <laughs> to digest. Right. But I think increasingly we have seen with the uh, with current situation with Russia, America and all these China, we have seen it become actually a point of like, you know, debate among ordinary Africans. But by then, it wasn't like something very common, like ordinarily to find something being debated like that. But so, so I think like the access and, and, and access meant that also like more vo varied voices and understanding of narratives and how you're portrayed, how you're seen. You remember that story of Kenya and the, the, the terrorist attack in Kenya where, where, as uh, CNN was showing dead bodies right in time, you know? Oh, yes. yes an yes. operation going on, a terrorist attacking a place, and you're actually showing people's bodies before even their relatives see them. Not that right. it's even, even excusable, but the, the fact that their relatives hadn't even known that they are learning from your footage that they have died, you know? That kind right. of dehumanization, we have seen it being pushed back, you know, several times. So... Mm -hmm. So Joseph Kony was like the biggest and we saw African voices congregating and pushing back together. And I think that from there on, um, it has gone upwards and whether it's in Kenya or other, other situations, we have seen Africans joining, whether using, you know, satire or whatever means or form. Well, thank you so much, Rosebell. This is, I mean, in terms of a catch up, this has been a very, very <laughs> wonderful catch up yeah. and you know, it's great to hear you think aloud yeah thank you so much 
All right, that's a wrap for another episode. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode and thank you again to Rosebel Kagumire for making the time for that. As ever, if you have any comments or feedback you'd like to offer, please send a shout out to the podcast at Native Podcast or else you can send a shout out directly to me at Fungai Just Being on Twitter or X. Um, or else if you have a burning thought or an idea or a suggestion for an episode, please feel free to send an email to info at digitallynativepodcast.com. All right. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you the next time. Take care until then. <laughs>